Hey everyone, this is Pastor Michael. Today we have a special episode of Restless that really isn't an episode of Restless. We're releasing this as a special episode because we were interviewed recently on the Presby Cast podcast, and we thought that this would be a good place to include that discussion on the new Calvinism. Uh, much of it is going to be stuff that you've already heard, and it's going to be the longest episode on our podcast feed. And so uh, if you would rather just go back to our normal programming, that's just fine. Uh, but if you want to hear a little extra, we thought that this would be a good thing to share with everyone here. So uh, here it is, and I hope you enjoy. It's a scientific formula effectively reduced to simple terms so everyone can try. It's a perfectly legal, non-chemically induced Logically natural high So turn on your mind to wisdom Turn on your heart to love Turn on your soul but natural Turn on to God above Oh, turn on your mind to good news Turn on your heart and care Turn on your soul to something sure You know, I was just thinking about um, how one of the myriad problems with society is we just we don't have enough easy listening uh, of a genre left. I mean, it's just it's one of these. Uh, we could probably do a, a post mortem on uh, on that very topic. It's just the the death of easy listening, and uh, it's probably one of those things where. Um, I was talking, I said, uh, you could probably trace most of the ills in society back to, you know, kind of two events, and uh, the death of easy listening might be the third. The first is... Oh, are you talking uh, about Christian Yacht Rock? Is that what you're, you're, you're on here? Yeah, but it, I mean, they're, they're sort of like, they're not a perfect circle, but I mean, it's a pretty tightly, tightly knit uh, Venn diagram there. But you know, if you go back, you know, mandating that businesses ban indoor smoking was the first thing. Yeah, everything... Uh, the second one is when people started calling, uh, hey, you want to go get a coffee? Or said, I drank four coffees today. So uh, if we ever did that with pizza, like, hey, you want to go get a pizza? And then someone hands you a single slice, you would be upset. We don't do that with anything else. Uh, and the third, you know, the death of easy listening. Um, it, it's, it, it's an all-encompassing genre. It can be all things to all people. You can play it at any time in any situation and it's fine yeah um, th this from a punk rock fan so take it take it for what it's worth all things to all people um that being said this is presby cast uh, your your faithful uh leader in um i don't know what's the uh in reformed poop posting uh, I guess is probably the best way to say that. I don't. I don't know if there's a, a better way to say it, but uh, we're here. Um, 
we've got we've got some more guests for the first time we have uh, a guest who's outside of our time zone so we're he's accommodating us uh so this is a really new frontier for uh presby cast um we're not we're not bending over backwards for this one um that said i'm still exhausted and uh, i'm still resbyterian and chortles weekly is here as well um i've already said too much this episode's gonna be awful uh not because of our guests just probably more because of me um but uh chortles introduce our guests uh i think this topic is going to be a considerable amount of fun and um if our house was shaped like a wheel this would be firmly in it so in the wheelhouse yeah so our guests guests are the restless podcast guys and uh, they uh, they describe that as a postmortem on the YRR, which of course stands for Young, Restless, and Reformed Movement. And um, well, you know, I was I was trying to describe this show to someone. I said they sound like us if we were smarter and better prepared and slightly less entertaining. Um, but uh, <laughs> so 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 Matt and uh, and. Um, uh, Michael, it's great for you. Great to be with you. I've been listening, uh, been listening to a lot of your shows lately, and um, again, it sounds like I'm listening to us, except better. So, <laughs> tell us as much about yourselves as you want, and uh, why in the world you um, embarked on this ill-fated venture. Well, well, I'll just say I'm I'm overjoyed to be on the worst episode of Presbycast ever. If that's, <laughs> that's what right. this turns into, that's um, so that's very subjective. You you okay. may think that at the end, but we've uh, I I know I've remarked on this. Um, the worst episode of Presbycast is sort of like being the worst dressed person at Walmart. Um, you might walk in forgetting to wear pants, but someone after you comes in forgetting to put on underwear. So there's always going to be like one more person. Oh man, yes. yeah, and yes. and that's why we're a little less entertaining too. Um, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I'm Matt. Uh, I'm yeah the the host. I am an RTS student of the hybrid variety. If somebody, if some of your listeners know what that means, um, the show started one day because Pastor Michael and I were uh, eating pizza as we are off to do when we are together at a little place in the north called Rocky Rococo's. Of course, it was a lunch, and as is also off to happen, I had a beer and Pastor Michael had water, and we were discussing the YRR and realized that, um, especially from a conservative, confessional, reformed angle, there was really no one, really no one discussing it. So I'll let Michael introduce himself, and we can go from there. Yeah. Yeah, like Matt said, it's exciting. Uh, when we originally got together uh, and uh, kind of talked about what our goals were for the podcast, our goals for the first year, uh, one of them had to do with the amount of downloads that we wanted to get to, and we've already uh, surpassed that. And uh, the other one is, I said, uh, peak fame for me is when we finally get to be on Presbycast. So this is... I mean, the, that's right. We have to set uh, new goals after tonight. This is, or or this is the very final episode. Maybe this is the finale, uh, but that can't be. We've got too much coming down the pike. You, you've uh, made his Napark dreams come yes. true tonight. <laughs> as a I definitely do suggest new 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 goals. 
Congratulations. Your goal was to be the worst dressed person at Walmart. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, uh, so yeah, my name is Michael. Um, I'm an associate pastor in uh, PCA Church, Christ Covenant Church in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So uh, if you're looking at Wisconsin, we're right on the western side, right along the Mississippi. Nobody's Uh, looking at Wisconsin. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not an election year. (laughs) Here we have... uh, it's a little bit of a northern invasion tonight, uh, I guess, on the show. We don't quite have the southern charm that you guys have to add to our podcast, so maybe it's a little more rough around the edges. All right, so, but why did you, um, so you're eating pizza and you decide to do this, but 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 why? Why was it important that it be done? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's best if we just tell... Um, our stories a little bit. Uh, so uh, one of the reasons that this would come up is because Matt and I uh, basically shared a similar theological journey uh, over the course of time when uh, we would talk every couple of years and realize that we were reading the same things, following the same people, uh, eventually kind of moving in the same direction theologically. Um, so I, you know, uh, from my side of things, I grew up in the Evangelical Free Church of America, and uh, so you know, very much within you know mainline uh, evangelicalism, as I would call it. And uh, there was a point when all of a sudden, within you know uh, the circles that I was in, uh, some of these names started to become really popular. Uh, I've shared on our show that the first uh, person that I really remember, uh, kind of getting me excited about the idea of reformed theology, as it was called, uh, was Mark Driscoll, Pastor Mark Driscoll out in uh, Seattle, Washington. And I watched uh, this video where he was preaching that we've actually, we've done a reaction to on The Restless Show, Hold uh, on, looking s- back. S- say Mark Driscoll again. Uh, Mark Driscoll. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Be ready with that button. <laughs> it's going to come up a lot. Uh and so this just, you know, guys like him and all of a sudden, you know, John Piper uh, was already quite popular, but all of a sudden began to uh, emerge into the circles that I was in within evangelicalism and become very popular. And so uh, this put us, you know, and me down a journey of uh, kind of trying to uh, learn what all this, you know, Calvinism stuff was about and, and finding it very compelling. And, uh, you know, maybe we can get into it more, but, you know, over the course of time, you know, is that... Uh, kind of change. All of a sudden, I was, you know, finding, uh, you know, uh, other other teachers. I, while I was still in uh, high school, um, I was I would bum around in high school all day. I uh, wouldn't really do much of my work, and then I would go home and I found all of these uh, free lectures uh, from seminaries like Covenant Theological Seminary uh, and RTS. And uh, I didn't know what they were at the time. I thought Covenant was like some Lutheran. Uh, church or something like that. I didn't, I didn't know what it was uh, tied to. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, you know, I didn't know anything about Presbyterianism or anything like that. Uh, but so I started to find these things and, you know, slowly over time, you know, I was brought to uh, the point of being convicted more of Reformed Presbyterianism, uh, confessional Presbyterianism. Uh, but while Matt and I have talked, uh, what we found is that uh, we know many people, uh, we, we have many uh, friends that are in, you know, maybe one of two places. Maybe they're like us, and they've kind of come out of the new Calvinism uh, following some of these figures, and they look back, and uh, they think, uh, what was that? Was it, like, was it 
was actually any of that good or was it all bad or like what happened uh, with all this? And then there's also a large group that just nothing ever really changed for them, right? They maybe found some of these teachings. They've been reading John Piper. They've been listening to sermons. Uh, they, you know, they would call themselves reformed. They'd call themselves Calvinists. Uh, but, you know, they're still in, uh, you know, an evangelical church. They're still in basically the same place. And so, uh, you know, we wanted to kind of, I don't know, uh, look back and rationalize a little bit uh, about the movement. And for us, it's honestly just a little bit fun. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think for me, similarly, my story, what, why I was interested in it is similar to Michael's, except that I was a much harder Mark Driscoll fanboy. And so uh, we can all we can all groan about that together uh, when I was 18 and uh 18 okay i was yeah and, i was and, and i you, was truly young you stayed truly, you stayed out of prison that's good i did <laughs> i was able to stay out of jail um uh following his advice and and um through a reformed an influence of a reformed pastor and then a lutheran pastor right you know i would have said i was in in college very young i was very glad that the college ministry i happened to be involved with became involved with a um a reformed church, right? I met with the pastor. I and I'll I never I, I'll never forget, for example, I once asked him, this is how far I was from any kind of historic or confessional understanding of Christianity. I was like, you know, I'm really struggling. I don't know how to know if the the men in my Bible study are Christians. And he said, Well, have you ever asked them if they believe the Apostles' Creed? And I said, Well, I don't believe that. That's for Catholics <laughs> was was my answer. And uh. And he just very graciously, um, yeah, met with me, talked to me. And so at some point you realize, and if you were, if you were around the YRR circles, you heard people like Mark Driscoll even mentioning in 2009, Time Magazine calls it one of the uh, top uh, ideas changing the world, right? If, you know, there was in the broadly Calvinist world, Baptist circles, right? the TGC crowd, right? This was the, this was the confluence of, of some kind of a revival, a resurgence of reformed theology. We were kind of taking the world by storm and there was all this hope. And now the, um, apart from the people like Michael mentioned, most everybody just shakes their head at TGC articles. I mean, you guys, you guys meme them better than, than we do. We don't try very hard, but and and so a lot of people are do wonder, did it go wrong? What what happened? And because of the influence it has on broad evangelicals, and now um, even right now even in confessional circles, um, they these these types of leaders and and whether or not this movement is still going, the people who are involved are still really influential. We thought it was important to start and no one else was doing it. And so we decided to take the unauthorized, unapproved uh, step of beginning to to podcast our way through um, the YRR uh, and everything New Calvinist. Well, l- let me tell you how, how I missed the movement. And, and I want to run something by you that I think was actually a formative influence uh, that doesn't get much credit these days. And that is the Founders Movement in uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And that started in the, what, the uh, late 80s, really, and didn't get cranked up big time until the mid-90s. 
Um, but I really think they, 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 in some senses, they gave birth to the YRR. Uh, when I went to my first Founders Conference, while I was still a Baptist in 1997, the only young wrestlers and reform guy there uh, was uh, Mark Dever. And uh, I just thought he was one of them because he spoke at the conference. He was very impressive, but he pretty quickly went out on his own and did the, the nine marks thing. But because I, because I was in the South and because I was a, uh, a Baptist, um, I mean, I came in through MacArthur and um, Lloyd-Jones and Spurgeon. And, I, you know, we had this pastor who I called, uh, he only lasted seven months. I predicted he would last six. I called him the disaster pastor. And, uh, you know, he would quote people like Neil Anderson, uh, who's really bad news. But he liked John Piper, too, and he gave me a John Piper book on fasting, which was Hungry for God or something like that. I didn't read it. Uh, I, always thought, I really always thought Piper was kind of creepy, and I just I avoided it. And then in 2000, late 2003, I, I went to the PCA, and uh, I'd never heard of And, of course, that's when TGC started, 2004. And uh, I was right. sort of nonplussed by it from the beginning. I thought, okay, what, what's the, what's the use here? We've got all these, you know, if you're if you're reformed, you've you've got all this good stuff. Why do you need it watered down? And um, so I never had a piper phase, and I guess I'm somewhat thankful for that. Although I'm thankful for whatever good has been been done there, but I miss the whole uh, YRR thing. Um, I'd never heard of. Uh, Tim Keller until probably 2004 or five. Uh, of course, I heard a lot about Lincoln Duncan, people like that in the PCA. But I just I missed the whole the whole thing. Now Resby, who's he's had to drop off for a minute because of a technical problem. Um, you know, he he went through the the uh, X29 sort of phase, but uh, I missed it. Uh, but the question is. Where do you all where do you all trace it all back to? Do you do you go back to Piper? Is he the common denominator, or is is it is it TGC? I mean, the book that defined the movement wasn't that two thousand four by Colin Hansen. Is that right? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Okay. Wow. All right. So A little later. Yeah. So that was three or four years into TGC. So, yep. uh, so where, where do you all trace the genesis of the of the movement? Yeah, it was really interesting. One of our first interviews we did was with uh, Rob McKenzie. He is of the Reformed Forum. And he, you know, his opinion was uh, very similar to yours about founders that, you know, in that what you saw very early, and he called it like kind of before the YRR, where when John MacArthur kind of becomes a major Calvinist figure, in Baptist circles through the lordship controversy in the 80s. And then, you know, even in Colin Hansen's book, which I've now recently, uh, getting ready for the show I reread, he credits founders kind of laying the groundwork in the Southern Baptist Convention of a reacceptance of Calvinism on a wide scale. And so I think you get both of those things kind of laying the groundwork. But I, but I do think that, especially in light of how Colin Hansen defines the movement um, and the other things that came together when when John Piper starts going to the Passion Conferences 
down in the south and he starts to write i don't know there are th- you know thousands of college students and they say talk about whatever you want and he basically chooses calvinism and missions every time and he now has brought uh this kind of calvinist this kind of populist calvinist teaching to the north where michael and i are from right I didn't know what a Presbyterian was. I just thought that was the lady who married pets down the street, right, growing up. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's funny. Pastor uh, Megan. The, They're all named Megan. Megan, <laughs> Megan or Caitlin, every one of them. You know, they, she, they were nice when you, you know, when they had blood drives. But other than that, I didn't have much to do with them. And Yeah, it's so actually the church that I pastor uh, is literally, it almost shares a parking lot with uh, an evangelical free church uh, that... Matt and I both grew up attending, yep. and I literally, until I moved back to, uh, I went to a seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and uh, before I finished, uh, we moved back to this area because it's where I'm from, and uh, we literally passed this church uh, after being at that church for a little while. This is uh, about six years ago, uh, and uh, I saw it, and I saw it as a PCA church, and I literally said, like, I never knew what this church was. I just never, I didn't even really, like, I knew there was a building here, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't. I didn't know anything about it. And then I saw it was PCA, and I was like, no way. There's that PCA church in La Crosse. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. and That's the north for you. That's, that's that's where we are. Like, that's, you know, everybody's Catholic, Lutheran, uh, or, you know, maybe there's certain kinds of evangelical that, you right. know, broke out of Lutheranism, and that's about it. Right. I'd never met a Southern Baptist or anything, right? And then, so what happens is these John Piper um, clips, right, sermons, CDs are getting handed out in church. They are... Um, you know, his books are now around. R.C. Sproul's ministry ride is becoming more popular. And so it's, I think it's in that, in that time period, in the, you know, in just around the time where, just before when TGC is forming in the early 2000s, and it's kind of going to come to its height, right, in, you know, probably 2007 to 2015. And by 2015, I think it's, almost gone. But yeah, Michael, do you have anything to add about the origins where it kind of stemmed from? Yeah, as we look at it, you know, thanks to Rob, you know, we really did start to look at it, you know, maybe in maybe two phases, there was kind of a first first wave of kind of the the beginnings of it with, you know, maybe what you're talking about with founders with John MacArthur, uh, bringing a lot of guys out of uh, dispensationalism, especially. Uh, And then uh, moving forward, though, where we focus and part of it is just because it's, I mean, it's what we, you know, uh, came up through uh, is more how uh, the movement took off, especially with the you know onset of uh, internet communication, right? Yep. So being able to uh, get sermons right to people, being able to do sermon jams, and and having all hold kinds on, hold of on. What's, you know, what's a sermon jam? I've never heard a of a sermon that. jam. You know, like where uh, they take like a John Piper and they would put some of his preaching to uh, some kind of beat or music in oh. the background. Right, like that kind of a thing. So these and, things and are usually you know, you'd end with the nice sunglasses dropping that's right. down. That's right. Some kind of reformed OG. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's not. That's not good. <laughs> it's, it's not regulative. That's. No. <laughs> but I do think that that is important. That while for um, you know probably people coming out of a confessional circle, you know at a TGC conference, it's viewed as some kind of watered down thing. For us, for the young people that it was attracting at the time, for the people in their 20s and 30s, it was viewed as the, like, intellectual, thoughtful option. 
now I just want your listeners to just take a moment and appreciate that Mark Driscoll was the the thoughtful, <laughs> you know, intellectual option. Uh, you know, he was the doctrine guy, and and it's and it's crazy. But right, that is what it that was one of its attractions, right? That it is inv- an invitation to something historic. That it is an invitation to something um, defensible, scriptural. Um, and where we just happen to have the best music, best artists, and we're going to, you know, take over social media, you know, that it helps. All right. Well, I think, uh, two, two things should be said, and it's a sort of apparent in what you've, you've said so far, it's essentially, uh, a Baptist movement, uh, Baptist dominated, no doubt. And, uh, of course, I think you'll agree well, the, the reformed moniker is not helpful. It, it's. We're dealing with Calvinistic uh, soteriology um, with a variety of other things and emphases hanging there from. I'm glad you said the word like movement because I couldn't remember how to get to it except um, I don't I don't know if you guys remember, but like Tim Challies made like an infographic of like young, restless and like reformed new Calvinism and. it always came off as really cringy because of his overuse of the phrase of the movement or like in the movement in like different things. Um, or it was like, um, there was one, you know, it was like Wayne Grudem's systematic theology becomes the backbone of the theology of the movement. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, John Piper's embracing of rap music became an important part in the movement. Yes. There's like this just, it's so cringy to hear it written about like that, um, but not in like a like oh pogs weren't those funny sort of a way. This was more of just like a this maybe this was always bad, and we're <laughs> we're actually trying to paint something bad that shouldn't be painted. It, it's just bad. Well, I'm speaking, I'll find it. So so, but the only way to Google search for it that I found it was just Chally's infographic of the movement and it brought me like right to the blog post so apparently i mean it appears i mean if there's 25 you know bullets and there's way more of them at least 40 percent of them contain the phrase i mean it's just and it's really weird things in there like um you know this is the year in christ alone was published and you're just like goodness gracious this is you're basically just talking about like what we use to plan out our shows. Yeah. Hey, like, what's what's next on the list? Like, let's just go down and figure. We'd it like out. to thank Tim Chalice for doing our show prep for us. Making, <laughs> That's right. Making it's that been so, so helpful. Um, no, I agree, Chortles, That the term "reformed," um, you know, in early on, we did three shows trying to define what we were talking about, and we just titled them "reformed," "young," and "and restless," um, and because the term "reformed." You know, we basically took, as it was used, meant five points of Calvinism. And then we sought to define uh, a little bit more helpful understanding of Reformed. And Michael, maybe you can answer, because I think you we eventually started talking about how, while people like Ligon Duncan, KDY, um, Keller interact in these circles, right, it still is a Baptistic movement, even though um, on... Uh, even th- if there are those from a, a Presbyterian or Pado-Baptist tradition involved. Yeah, they're involved in part, but there is, uh, 
you know, this is actually uh, when uh, John Piper uh, went and did his lecture at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary about the, you know, young, restless, and reform. One of the things he says is that it's, I mean, it's basically Baptist. Uh, there's maybe a little bit of difference, but it's basically Baptist. And so uh, we, you know, sometimes I refer to it as, you know, either maybe Calvinistic evangelicalism, uh, or sometimes I just say Piperite evangelicalism, uh, <laughs> and, you know, just to maybe distinguish it even a little bit more, uh, because it, it really is just that. It's here are these five points. And again, you know, for us, uh, growing up in the setting that we were, like to have those five points was like, no way, this is amazing. Like this was, this seemed like so much. It seemed like so much to uh, grasp and to come to. So it, I mean, it was a big thing for us. Yeah. And, and the, and when uh, people would interact, right. With the, when the, when the Presbyterians would interact, right. We appreciated them and they were appreciated obviously and they're close friends, but it was again, like hanging look, out with the smart kids finally. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But but look at how, for example, how TGC writes its statement of faith. Well, sorry guys, your position on baptism is irrelevant, right? That that and therefore the default in evangelicalism is a baptistic view, and it's then dominated by baptistic figures. And so, already, even in their while Lig and Duncan are these men, of course, in their churches, seminaries, you know, they would never divorce those things. But their interactions in the young, restless, and reform movement of the movement. When they became of the movement, they they largely had to divorce themselves from uh, their views on baptism um, for the sake of unity and you know whatever the uh, for the of the movementness. Yeah, and we and we've hearkened back to it here, like of uh, Truman saying it all the way back in 2013: is to be a Baptist and to join the Gospel Coalition, you have to give up nothing. Like to be a Presbyterian and to join the the Gospel Coalition, you have to at least be willing to give up everything. Yeah. And um, at at first, like when you're not a Presbyterian and you hear that, you say like, "Well, that sounds kind of mean and heavy-handed." And then um, you you become not a Baptist, and you realize like, "Oh, I was right." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you're in a if you're in a connectional church, which all Presbyterians are uh, connectional. Um, I don't see what TGC adds, except maybe to your, maybe to you know your your own self conception as a thought leader, or or sort of a benevolent uh, dispenser of the goods. But I do understand that uh, TGC is a quasi denomination for some of these independent churches. Um, yeah. And they 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 have some. I mean, there you know. Interestingly, there are no ruling elders uh, or laymen on the TGC council, uh, and there's no discipline except you know you can be memory hold if you uh, if you uh, if you screw up. Uh, Thankfully, hard. there are people that have saved some oh, of yeah. the worst of the worst from the past, so uh, we have fun reacting to those. I mean, you can be canceled, so. Um, you know, there was a cancel yep. culture at TGC. I mean, uh, Tallinn was canceled. McDonald was. Right. Although there's, you can still find some of those videos. They're not all gone. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't fully scrub. Um, but so I can see the attraction for Baptists. I could never see the attraction for Presbyterians. Now, as a, I don't know what uh, um, what Michael thinks about this, but. 
I don't know that TGC is that is that influential in the PCA. I, I, I don't know that a lot of guys are that aware of what what goes on there. But I just have this suspicion that it, it drives our agenda at a kind of a top level among the great men. Because when you have some of your leading figures uh, involved with uh, the Gospel Coalition, I can't help but think that they don't sometimes think, uh, I wonder how this is going to play with my TGC brothers. Now, I could be completely wrong about that, but I, th I think they influence us uh, as much or more uh, as we influence them. Any, any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, that's really interesting. So, um, you know, I've heard it said, you know, uh, from other guys in our presbytery, you know, things like, you know, I mean, we have guys who have maybe gone to, uh, you know, T4G or those sorts of things, maybe the Gospel Coalition. I know that there's some talk of it. I see articles shared, right, uh, in the, you know, PCA elders group. Sometimes TGC articles are thrown around. Um, so it's it's definitely there. It's a, it's a thing. I think it is probably far more, uh, you know, uh, the, the material itself is probably far more influential amongst the lay people. Uh, but uh, what you even said there is interesting because, you know, one of the things we found about, you know, the movement in itself in many ways was, uh, it was driven by uh, the relationships that these different people had. And uh, the benefit for those who, you know, are, are stepping in maybe from a more confessional Presbyterian world, uh, honestly, is you know, at least part, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak of motives, but one of the obvious benefits is their audience just explodes, like the size of their uh, influence and audience uh, by all these guys coming together. Uh, they were able to draw, you know, uh, pretty large numbers and man, just boost those book sales. You know, I mean, there's, there's just so much uh, as far as notoriety that comes with it. And so your idea that maybe uh, this is influencing more of the guys at the top is really interesting because there is a there is a strong kind of elitist element to it where the movement is built around, right? Like these figures, these guys, like it's, it's all built around them. Uh, they, in that sense, they are the movement, right? They, I mean, it is them. Uh, and so that's why it's so devastating when uh, Mark Driscoll falls apart and, you know, like it just, it, it starts to, you know, chip away at that because it's all about those guys. It's not actually about uh, those who are maybe on the lower levels. Yeah, I think it totally is a on the top level, a, a relational, it's this relational network. Um, we interviewed a guy, he's just published his dissertation on the YRR. It's kind of crazy that, you know, now there's even an academic interest. And he said that this was all people getting into the right positions of power. It's not even that there were numerically that many more Calvinists. It's that Calvinists got in the right positions of power and had the right relationships. And I think that's probably, you're right in saying that that's one of the big influences on the PCA. I would say the other one that I think confessional churches find is, I think, especially from early on in TGC, what everyone started getting lazy doing is people would go, oh, I need that article on justification, da 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 da. I'd search it and they'd have, they'd have 20 and I could pick one from somebody relatively trusted. Now, if I do that, you know, of course I can find trusted articles on, um, you know, carpool karaoke and how that points us to the gospel and, you know, 90s pop music and, you know, but what happened is, is that we, that people have this kind of just, I don't know what it is, it's some bias to just kind of do what I've done, to trust some source that I trusted in the past. And now they talk on all sorts of issues that, um, Certainly, most people 
find themselves wondering why 50% of the articles I read or titles I see, because, you know, I don't click strange links, uh, why they feel off and why others, you know, are, you know, the, the you know, reposting Herman Bovink or something. You're talking basically about the CNNization of the Gospel Coalition. Yes. Like, which means that somebody is Brian Stelter <laughs> at the Gospel Coalition. <laughs> And we are now going and we are now going to pose the question to live viewers and yourselves <laughs> yeah. to name who you who you think is the Brian Stelter of the Gospel Coalition and why is it Trevin Wax? <laughs> Man, I was gonna say it might be Colin Hansen, but it is Trevin Wax. You are no doubt. <laughs> Uh, I did not say that. Trevin, we'd love to have you on our show if you want to come and dispute this. Uh, we would love to have you. I'm still holding out hope that I will become uh, T4G or TGC's like go-to uh, unimportant pastor that they have on as kind of a virtue signal. Um, so I'm still well, here, guys. Actually, actually, I don't know if you remember it, but uh, again, it was Truman, I think, in 2012 who went on and said, hey, what if you guys had... That's a guy right. on who no one knew as a virtue signal, and then they sort of like doubled down and said, "We're never going to do this," and then, <laughs> and then they never yes. did. So we, you sort of have to respect the fact that like they're like they really thought they were that big and yeah. uh, have no desire to get. Smaller. They thought when they had Truman. So we we did a reaction uh, podcast to this and kind of walked through it uh, because it's brilliant. Because Truman is such a like wonderful uh, stick in the mud. And so he goes on and I really think that they thought, hey, once we get him like, you know, here when he's like right next to us, he's not going to call us out by name. And then he does. He just did it. And he just said, hey, you know, if you mean everything you say, you could uh, actually do what you're saying. And you say you want to like help the, you know, uh, help the guys in the audience not aspire to, you know, being this mega church pastor, but just be like a regular faithful pastor. And that's what it's all about. So then why don't you have those guys come and speak? at least one or two and there there's kind of like this weird like uh uh was he supposed to say that like this isn't this doesn't seem right so it's man, brilliant man, i will say one of your live commenters went with agent joe carter which certainly has to give him a run for his money i mean that's, yeah i actually i that's so, pretty good trevin trevin came to mind but i think i think i might go with joe carter that's uh i, I i'm gonna officially change my pick <laughs> uh, and, and go with that one, but I mean, I mean we could do this all day. Yeah, it's March. Maybe we should come up with a little bit of a bracket. Uh, yeah. Start a little bit of a you know Twitter war about it. Yeah, I mean you could make it sort of like a um, you know the uh, Kyperianism is, is was all the rage. So you could do it where you could put Joe Carter up against Stelter, and that's your. Like, you know, North versus South bracket. Like, those are your final four <laughs> one seeds right there. That's and right. then, um, so I guess that, that either makes us Tar Tucker Carlson or Alex Jones. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I have a higher praise for myself than that. Well, all right. Speaking of Truman, I think in 2013, he, he coined a term which I thought I coined in 2015, but I'm sure I, I read this on Reformation 21. Uh, I coined the phrase gospel industrial complex. Mm. And he had something very similar to that, and I could find it if I, if I took the time. And I think it was in 2013. So I was disappointed when I realized I had sublimated that and then, and then modified it a little bit. 
but he's been the most consistent and um, and really I want in a good way vicious critic of uh, of uh, New Calvinism uh, and the YRR, and he identified as early as 2013 that it it was a confluence of uh, conferences, publishers, um, uh, websites, and all that, and, and he identified the commercial. Uh, aspect of it, which I'm sure is unavoidable. Um, things cost money. Uh, I get that. Uh, but so there's there's two things there: publishing and conferences. Uh, we're pretty sure. I that, just put the Truman article in the chat. Okay, there um, you go. So it's out there for the listeners too. All right, I'll, I may share that screen in a minute. But um, um, so let's talk about that. Uh, there really, you talked about the relational aspect. A lot of that was formed at conferences, which were sort of a, you know, a special protracted revival meeting uh, for the you know fellowship-starved, newly enlightened Calvinists. Uh, so it is first a conference, and second a website. Uh, but there's also the publishing dimension. So let's talk about those things because I, I think you can't really. Uh, uh, understand it without uh without without looking at those things yeah i'll i'll say the first person i heard use um the the gospel the evangelical gospel industrial complex was chris roseboro so i'll just i'll put myself on that map on the internet um and um but but yeah i think the i think that michael and i have have commented on and and certainly is so important is that what the the new Calvinists did is they adapted to new media first. I think they were some of the first oh, yeah. in conservative evangelicalism to adapt to new media. And what is new media driven by? Well, it's driven by content. That's why there are people turn, tuning into the Presbycast. That is why um, two guys can have some pizza and then and start a show, right? That's why people were blogging, right? That's why there's Twitter. Um, that's why there's Gab for um, people like Resby and, and Alex Jones, right? And and so, but the thing is what you need is you need constant content, right? And so it, it's a push to publishing. It's a push towards more blog articles, more conference talks, right? And so originally all the stuff they were putting out were conference talks and sermons. And then it's, you know, and then it's pushing further. Right now, they're they've caught up, and now they're doing podcasting as well. But obviously, eventually, you, like you said, you have to pay for it, right? And so, and as and as John Piper said, uh, and then this is where pr probably Pastor Michael has more to say is right. He said we're just going to look at the gospel from every conceivable angle, and that's why so many of these books and things for so long felt like we wrote the same book. 45 times because we we had a we had to keep publishing things but we had also determined the number of things on which we could publish were very very limited and so we and so and and most people are capable of publishing something on on the gospel so you know that's what that's kind of what happened that way yeah thinking about the uh you know, especially the conference side of things, Matt uh, pointed this out once that uh, really what we have in a sense is the creation of a new kind of uh, episcop uh, episcopate in a sense, like this is a new episcopal system 
uh, where, you know, you have uh, kind of this, you know, this uh, group of men who are kind of, they're, they're the top level, right? Like they're the, the highest of level. They are the, these are the bishops, right? You have the Bishop of Minneapolis and the Bishop of Seattle. And uh, when, you know, these guys come to town, there is this special kind of, you know, uh, almost sacrament to go and to, you know, hear from them is a particular kind of blessing that you're going to receive. And, you know, kind of mixed with, you know, it's like this weird uh, new Baptistic Episcopal revivalism that, you know, all kind of uh, comes together. And so you, you see a lot of that, which is why, like, you know, going to these conferences and things. And I, so I actually, I never even went to like any of the big conferences. I, you know, I was, I was kind of disconnected from the, the really important parts of the movement. Also, Matt and I, like we, we were never in the inner workings. We're so far from the levers of power that uh, <laughs> you know we don't, we didn't see the uh, inside of we the beast. We have nothing shall to we say. lose. That's right, and we have nothing to lose. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, but like when you would hear about these conferences, you know, when our friends would go to these conferences, or when you know we would, uh, you know, get all of the the new downloads uh for the conference sermons whatever it was you know it's like you know finally we're kind of ascending this mountaintop and this is mountaintop experience and it's so amazing and then we return home and you know we kind of bring a little bit of that uh, afterglow and glory with us uh, but so it's it's just this like uh, really bizarre way of you know viewing the faith and you know those who have spiritual power and how that spiritual power, how that kind of different means of grace, in a sense, is given to those who show up to the conferences. You know, they eventually stopped it, but in, uh, let's say, up to up through 2016 or so, uh, at the Gospel Coalition conferences, they would uh, open the doors you know, like an hour early, and all the young guys would, would race to the front row. Right. And, and it, was, it was very unseemly. Uh, I would have done it. I oh. like I probably would have done it, you know. Like I, looking back, I probably would have been there had I actually gone to the conference. Had I had money to go to that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah, it's, and not um, to mention, then you'd have to budget like an extra like forty or fifty bucks for your checked bag because of all the book giveaways. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> books you were totally going to read one Got day. It. Yeah. <laughs> the the good old airdrop books, man. That was a. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, they were following the model of passion or if you've ever been to a college conference, right, that's what they do. That's what they do to kind of hype, to hype the crowd, right, is you you hold it. I mean, this is what you do at a concert too, right? You hold the doors until you can come in. And so, yeah, well, we realize. And, so, and sometimes it kills people. You know, right. it's, it's, it's there, no, there's a nobody certain was, number. Nobody was killed. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's, it's you sort of expect it that over you know so many years you're gonna you're gonna lose so many people to a crush. Well, no, no they, they eventually you just sort of get insurance and budget that out, and then you just they're just martyrs after my, that. My guess is they canceled it because for you Presbyterians in your full suits, it was just unfair. You couldn't move as fast as me in my uh, my gym shorts and T-shirt running to the front and well, claiming. Right. Yeah, a but you were wearing sandals, so you were inevitably going to trip over your like that's true uh, Walmart flip flops. Well, hold on. I've got a clip. Here, this is what they would they would sound this right before they open the doors. So, anyway, that that, that kept oh, the boy. that kept the venue employees from getting getting hurt. So, but 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 we realized right with this similarity to what I'm describing with youth culture, right? That this is someone trying to take reform theology 
and try and see it through youth culture, right? This is why the young oh, is yeah. so important. And and in that way, Michael and I have concluded largely, and and we have now done so with a uh, a PhD's uh, um, uh, consent. This is just evangelicalism, you know. Oh, this yeah. is just evangelicalism again. And the conference circuit, I think, when we I don't know when we were talking about this, but I just realized, oh, it's just a model of spirituality that says pastors need revivals too, right? That that's that's what you know, and and that makes sense, especially in a in a broad evangelical um, and when uh, you, context. When you say just evangelicalism, you could also say it's just revivalism, uh, because evangelicalism is basically uh, revivalism, right? Yeah, but there's also. Oh, we love. Uh, uh, in a meta way to say it, there's something like more juvenile about this, um, and that's and so I I would make the joke on Twitter like, you know, stay tuned for my new podcast. Everything is youth group, you know, first episode <laughs> dropping soon. But that's exactly what this is: is huh. these are all kids who grew up in youth group and are now like trying to get a job. Uh, in like youth group, but serious, yeah. And uh, and they're still running up to the front, just like they used to do at like the at the youth camps, like every single week. There's there's really no difference between it, and and we still see that even, um, you know, I won't say it doesn't happen in in like weird Presbyterian circles too. It absolutely does, but it's um, there's there's still this residual of it and you know maybe it's not as bad you know maybe that's one good thing about covid is that you know they're not crushing people uh rushing for books anymore um but how many yeah. lives have has it saved how many lives has the shutdown really saved now that we add if, those if, numbers if, if, it, if it just saves one Michael. yeah <laughs> just but one maybe, love your maybe, neighbor maybe that's, that's how right. you guys can convince uh these these conference circuits for never never opening again yeah. if it just if it saves one life. Well, um, the Gospel Coalition is meeting in person, so they're they're going to they're, they're going to meet this year. L- let me run a concept by you guys. I don't know where I got this. Probably from from Daryl Hart, um, and I don't know if he was quoting someone or if this was original to him. And this could have been as far back as 2009 or so. But it was the idea that. When evangelicals uh, criticize celebrity or, you know, celebrity culture like the Kardashians and the people who are famous for being famous, that it's actually it's, it's actually hypocritical, not because just because of what we see in our own circles. But there are some, um, I guess they would be sociologists or anthropologists or political thinkers. Uh, someone at some point has contended that uh, revivalism actually invented the concept of celebrity as we know it. Um, prior to, uh, let's say, the 1700s with the, uh, with the revivals, with uh, Whitfield and uh, people like that, uh, the only celebrities that, that, that there would be in the world might be royalty, military leaders. Um, you know, I read once about the Kind of the first pop star. It was John Dowland. If you've ever heard the uh, "Flow My Tears," it's a very sad song from the late 1600s. I think he was like the first pop star all over Europe. So 
there there weren't really celebrities in the in the world, uh, but we sort of invented it with revivalism in in the U.S. Uh, even before we were a, a nation with uh, Whitfield and uh, Wesley, Wesley and those guys, but there were huge crowds. There was uh, adoration. There was emotional excess, and uh, there were all there was all sorts of unseemly stuff that went on on the on the fringes of these things. I love this story. Some newspaper correspondent was covering uh, a Whitfield meeting, and he said he was so far from you know the speaker's stand that he couldn't hear anything uh, that Whitfield was saying. But there was a young lady near him, and she was just weeping, obviously affected. And he said, uh, young lady, why, why are you uh, reacting like this? You can't even hear what he's saying. And she says, do you not see the godly wag of his head, sir? Um, so it sounds like a Beatles. <laughs> it's a Beatles concert uh, yeah. it, it, to some degree. You know, they had terrible sound in the early 60s in those venues, but people still freaked out. So... Um, I think that, I think that's, that's probable, you know, uh, I think we almost invented celebrity and, um, and we've, uh, we haven't gotten away from it yet. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never, uh, I've never thought about it tied to, uh, revivalism before. Um, you know, I wonder if part of it is just the, the nature of kind of the way, you know, spiritual authority was seen. That all of a sudden, this you know particular person, whether it be a Whitfield or someone like that, is you know particularly endowed, and you know everything they say all of a sudden becomes almost a kind of magic. You know whatever they say, we need to listen to because uh, you know one of the you know hallmarks of celebrity culture is just the idea that you know certain people are uh, you know given uh, or have some kind of perceived uh, authority, whether or not they are you know. Uh, whether or not they should have it, right? Whether or not they're, you know, so you have, uh, you know, a football player coming on and, you know, telling you, you know, what kind of car is best. Or maybe you have a, an actor who comes on and tells you who you should vote for. Uh, this is not somebody that, you know, has any expertise in this area. This is not somebody that's, you know, proven themselves to be trustworthy in this area. And yet it's just the celebrity about them that, you know, makes you trust them. And I wonder if there is an element of that that can, you know, naturally flow from, you know, kind of a, a, a sense of spiritual authority that somebody holds. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, I don't think you can discount um, the way, uh, and, and we touched on it earlier too, like the way Google has sort of had like an unofficial invisible hand over all of this in terms of like, like content. I mean, you know, it, it's been sort of nice as like a, you know, uh, AI theological index in some ways is you just type in someone's name and then the topic and then you know someone talking about that person talking about it or you know tim keller baptism you know how many times do you think that's been google searched or um like rc sproul holiness uh you know and those are probably some of the you know better examples of it you know um and so people are, you know, sort of like, you know, typing these things in, reading it, and then, and and there is a sense of like human nature that you just sort of have to like shake off of like um, assigning an authority to it because it's in 
print in some virtual sense or real sense on a site that is you know supposed to be trustworthy and vetted and and things like that and um you know i i had to duck out for a minute i was having some input issues but you know not you know we talk about you know driscoll being a part of and even on the gospel coalition council for a while right but uh you know how long was tulian chavidjan's blog hosted on there as well um and and so um you know, all the while, you know, the worst of their worst parts were going on at the same time. And, and, and they were just given that authority and conduit to speak to millions of people. And I, I think there are, oh, on, think there are only two. one, let me say, only one former TTC figure has been accused of, uh, of hiring a hitman. Only one. <laughs> Dude. I think we can't, that's we can't wait to get into that one, by the way, to break that one down. <laughs> to get to to get involved in a in a the comic super the comic super villain who was yes. apparently involved that I think in evangelicalism celebrity culture right you know celebrity culture is kind of the commoditization of you know of fame right can I sell my fame right is it marketable right and then obviously you have mass media I think a a, a distinction Michael and I want to make eventually is the difference between public figures and celebrities. Because, right, the church has always had public figures because we discuss things openly, you know, right? Um, but in evangelicalism, celebrity culture is, is, is super influential for a few reasons. One, it's pretty easy to become an evangelical celebrity comparatively to other fields. Two, in evangelicalism, the did I get a lot of people to a thing makes it a justifying event. If I attracted a lot of people to a website, event, or something I'm doing, that automatically means, you know, this was part of God's wonderful plan for my life and theirs. We count people because people count. That's right. Don't you know that? That I, I do know that. And that's exactly why Peter did and why I've heard every number count of people in the Bible so many times. And the and and the final one is in in more independent circles. And you even do see this in the you I'd say even in the PCA, right? Where the name of a celebrity kind of becomes my denominational um yeah. brand, right? I am right in if you don't have a, a strong connectionalism, a strong denomination well, we're kind of one of those John Piper churches, right? That tells people a lot about your church immediately. And you can do this within, you know, um, you know, in, in, are you part of the Tim Keller tribe, right? There's a good word, tribe. Um, yeah, so we've and, said, even on the show, like in lieu of a strong confession, what happens is these personalities actually become your confession. They become your distinctive instead of having some kind of doctrinal confession. Okay, That's so why I was a Driscoll guy. We would be right. uh, remiss if we didn't mention the fact that the Gospel Coalition has their own confession of faith or, well, uh, their own catechism. And uh, right. there are PCA churches who, on their website at least, that's the confession of faith or the catechism or whatever, the yeah. New City Catechism, uh, that they use. Um, that rubs me the wrong way a little bit, you might imagine. Um <laughs> Um, maybe, maybe people... Well, I don't know. It's not like we had one already. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, yeah. 
or or more. This was a joke. If any of my session is listening, this was a joke. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it certainly uh, the Gospel Coalition sort of does present almost as a denomination. Uh, I haven't done it for a long time, but I, I used to uh, kind of call the greatest hits from the TGC job board. And um, let's just say almost anybody can post on there. And there are some interesting, so some interesting job descriptions, that's all. And the most, the most interesting ones are in the worship leader um, section. Oh but Of course. It's been a can long, just, been a long uh, time. Can I say, too, I, I'm just thinking that, you know, part of the buildup of this particular kind of celebrity culture, I think no doubt it just has to do with the internet and the way that people again perceive through social media through like even you know a podcast or something like this uh, the way that people uh you know have their they perceive the people on the other end in a different way um, so this has even happened for us like we started this podcast and it's nothing right i mean we there we there is nothing like uh special about what we do and the like all the glamour of oh, any kind of podcast was taken away when we were just like Hey, we're eating pizza. Why not start a podcast? And we did it. And so, uh, but we've had people that are like, wow, like you guys really did it. And we're like, no, no, like, I don't think you understand like how, like anybody with a cell phone can just do what we're doing. Uh, but I think there is a sense in which when you like, you know, you hear something, uh, you know, through this particular app or you, you watch this video on YouTube, whatever it might be. I think it gives a certain kind of, I don't know, maybe uh, a lure or it, it makes it look like, oh, wow, this is a much bigger deal than maybe it actually is. And so you get this perceived idea that this person matters more than they actually do. So we've said, hey, even the like, you know, the Gospel Coalition or like any of these kind of big Eva celebrities to the rest of the world, they literally mean nothing. You know, like in the in the greater sense of things, like nobody's going to like point them out in a crowd unless they're at one of these conferences or something like that. Uh, it just, but there's this perceived authority or perceived celebrity that just comes through because of the the medium that you're using. Well, I'm I'm going to link to this uh, Carl Truman article in the in the show notes, but he just nailed it. Um, I haven't read this in years, but everything we've said tonight is covered in this article. Uh, as to what you just said, Michael, about uh, you know the the kind of the uh, magnifying power of 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 a, of a platform of some kind, of a blog or a podcast. Uh, listen to what uh, Truman said: Leaders would gradually and sometimes self-consciously become brands, the instruments of fostering that intimacy of strangers, which is such a part of celebrity culture. For example, the faux chumminess of all those tweeted exchanges and retweets, lives lived as soap operas mediated by the internet, would feed, would feed smoothly, humbly, and imperceptibly into the building of one's brand. Now, we often joke that we're a lifestyle brand, not a, not a podcast. And that's why, we, that's why we make so much of tacos and that sort of thing. Uh, that's really a spoofing of this whole idea. That 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 our that our uh, uh, weird personal proclivities make any difference to anything. So um, yeah, th this this Truman piece is just just marvelous, and I, I don't really see how he could have um, how how he could have uh, nailed it any any better. Um, so uh, just just astounding, and everyone uh, should read that. Yeah, yeah. I mean. What we've what you find over time is right. 
New Calvinism defended itself against a number of critics over time. And most of the critics ended up being mostly right about most of the things that that they said. And and so you you kind of are left wondering, right? And this is and this is again, this is part of the purpose of the show is when we do when we are, you know, critical of these things, we have again people like me and lots of guys who are like, well, you know, I kind of thought that was I was kind of I was starting to understand these things. And we want to be a a welcoming place where where you don't have to feel like you play catch up, right? And because not everyone's motivated to do that. And so we are, you know, we're happy to cover things like family worship, right? Um, what uh, is the regulative principle? You know, like those kinds of issues as we, as, as, as a contrast, right? We basically are, you know, if we're doing anything, we're teaching by contrast uh, on the show. And so, uh, and we also are nostalgic, you know, of course, for those glorious scrubbed clips online. Um, we're going to be doing one that that Pastor Michael has 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 found where James McDonald and Mark Driscoll are chiding Mark Dever over his not believing in a multi-site church model. It is Yeah, it, we did um it's a glorious <laughs> I think it was right around the James McDonald time we had we had Dan Borvin on to talk about that who he was actually once a member at, at Harvest uh, many oh, wow. many years back. Okay. And it I mean it's it's spectacular. Yeah. Um, oh, it's amazing. It, I so one of the things that you know allowed me uh, as a young man to not get so pulled into all of this uh, because there were times when I, you know, like, I mean, I was in the mind space that it was like, yeah, like the only way that I can work to uh, really help the church and to bring this, you know, kind of revival anywhere is to move to one of these big cities and to, you know, like help to, uh, you know, uh, expand the ministry of one of these, you know, big figures. Uh, the thing that kept me from doing that was just like a, a regular pastor who, you know, came alongside of me, put up with the, you know, uh, the really uh, cringe side of cage sage Calvinism and just helped me, help point me to, you know, uh, older teachers, more weathered, uh, mature men. And I remember him sitting down and being like, hey, you got to watch this video. And he showed me those one, you know, with Mark Dever and, and uh, McDonald. And I don't remember when, you know, in the process this was as far as, you know, how influenced am I am by these guys, how not. Uh, I think Truman actually played a really big role in me kind of slowly, you know, uh, uh, walking away from a lot of this movement, uh, just seeing some of the inner workings through his, you know, uh, talk about Big Eva and uh, the, you know, gospel industrial complex. But yeah, we, actually... uh, we watched that video and it just, you know, it, I was like, wow, yeah, that is a really like sad contrast to watch. And, and my I, reaction it's, was, it's go Driscoll, go Driscoll. <laughs> I, I was still, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's an important thing. Is it like there was sort of what is it that I and I should I should know it, but I don't. But um, again, you know, as the low information presby of record, um, there's that like great English sketch comedy bit with um, the two guys are down in the trenches, yeah, and they look at each other and they look at you know the eagles on their heads and yeah. the red armbands and they look at all the you know, skull imagery and you know are are we the baddies <laughs> yes. and um Great the, there is a moment in 
YRR and new Calvinism where you start, you realize who you've been defending and sort of going to bat for. And then you're like, am I, am I defending the bad guys, but not in the <laughs> right. cool way? Like, like <laughs> everyone sort of wanted to be uh, Hulk Hogan and WCW after the NWO formed. Like that was cool to be the bad right. guy. But this was like, like what if these guys are doing like, actual bad yeah. and, um, and, right. and and so everyone sort of has that um that exact same moment i mean there was i think one of the first when when we were uh i don't know maybe a couple years old it must have been in the first couple of years of the pod but i remember and it was um it was uh our listener sylvia um who's just an amazing finder of things that people wish didn't exist um and i had done this i was like you know if someone can find me this clip i'll i will order you a presby cash shot glass and have it shipped to you um from the old tetzel boutique and um uh as we used to say uh in uh six days a week um but um and it was a clip of driscoll where uh, it was like right after Real Marriage came out, and he had stopped wearing the Mickey Mouse T-shirts. He had stopped wearing just like mm -hmm. the Hurley Bro uh, kind of get up, and he started wearing like sweater vests and plaid and like brogue shoes. And someone asked him about it, and he, he grew a beard. And uh, I mean, his answer was, was of like, I'm repositioning myself. I'm not this cool you know, this cool guy anymore is, is I want to be like the wise father to all these people who are coming to me with questions. And I want to look like a guy who would know the answers. And, um, I'll have, I think it's, I think it's somewhere, uh, deep in the bowels of Presby cast direct messages. I'd have to go way, way back and find it unless she's good enough to post it in the comments here. Um, but I mean, it was a video interview and he's sitting there in his sweater vest and, you know, slim fit plaid shirt, which at the time, you know, not casting judgments, but, um, you know, it, it, it was an athletic cut and, uh, you know, so it, it was just, that was one of those moments where like, you know, maybe this, maybe there's a lot more branding going on than, uh, uh, than we really thought about. King of the brand, really king of the brand. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just, uh, watched together, uh, interview recently. Uh, Driscoll was, he's back. Evidently he never totally went away. No, uh, we actually like, have we have a screenshot of this. Uh, whoever runs his Twitter page accidentally liked a retweet of one of uh, our shows, and they quickly deleted it. Uh, but we have it. We have a screenshot of it so that we have it, you know, for all of time uh, to Pastor show anybody Mark, who was. If you are a Presbycast listener, we we off we do this on every medium we can. If you'd like to come on the show, we'd love to talk to we you. We would. We'd love to talk to you. But he's on. Uh, he went on the Stephen Crowder YouTube show. And Steven Crowder at one point asked him, he says something like, you know, there's some criticism that's, you know, been too harsh toward me and some that's been right. And Steven Crowder asked him, well, what criticism was right? And basically his answer was, well, I was a young, really cool guy and I made a giant church and it went great. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's so oh. funny. Oh, it's so good to watch. What's, it's uh, king of the what's, brand. What's, what's great about this interview, and I think this is, this is, and this is how you know Driscoll is, and we can joke, he is a king of branding, though. One, Crowder is asking him actually really good questions. Um, Crowder's asking him questions like, so what is the Bible's view of men and women? 
right? He at one point says, "What it? so tell me, what does the Bible say about Calvinism? You were famous for that, right? He asks him straight questions about the Bible that Driscoll just just avoids, right? Completely, just does not 100%. Answer. Doesn't say a word. And so, but what's what's interesting is what Driscoll, I think, has seen is he's seen um, TGC, all the circles he used to run into, kind of embracing the woke, right? And kind of ostracizing, you know, a, these large conservative swaths, you know, the unwashed Trump voter, you know, who might be wa watching right now and saying, oh, I can position myself for those people. And so, right, he goes on Crowder and, you know, he even he even chides, you know, um, the why the all the reformed evangelicals are going woke. And his reasoning now is is crazy, right? <laughs> he he. Oh man, it's so bad. It he's is like, so bad. He's like, the reason Protestants, you know, Stephen, are likely to go for uh, the woke or the Black Lives Matter protests is because Protestants mean protests. And if you, and this is a direct quote, if you have one group protesting here and one group protesting there, eventually they're going to converge into one big protest. <laughs> And it's so, so real. It's real. That, you can look it up. That's, <laughs> you can... that's literally WCW and WWF <laughs> becoming one company. So, uh, and, and and it was the worst thing that ever happened in the wrestling business. And and so uh. he, so I think that right. We even asked our listeners if they wanted us to review some of his new. They they published a video called his preaching rants or this, and people wanted us to talk about that because again they see him raise concerns they probably have. In re with reformed evangelicals but also he still seems off and and so yeah it, it was just is the wild it was wild this is one of the reasons i actually think kind of you know tying into what we said a little bit ago the idea of you know uh seeing some of these things and wondering hey are we actually not on the right side here i think there's a lot of people we seem to be getting people who are listening who like they're they are see a lot of the stuff coming out right now kind of defending a lot of the social justice and and movements like that uh on the secular side and uh they're like wait a minute i don't think i'll follow you there but i don't know why you're going there i thought you were like right. the standard bearers of truth and so how are you kind of jumping into some of this stuff and so you know there's a lot of people out there who are kind of confused they're like wait was this wrong the whole time is this all wrong what's what's good about it what's not and that's what we're trying to i guess answer and, and I thought that the five points of Calvinism and justification by faith were enough to hold us all together and keep us as the super friends forever. Right. And now everybody's kind of mad at everyone. <laughs> and now they're even is more... really just the word for the friends we made along the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and now there are even more conferences, right, that I have to choose between. Because as soon as you do an MLK conference, these guys did an anti you know, anti-social justice conference. And, you know, like it's, it just continues to um, diverge in those ways. All right. So one of the questions I've always had, one of the things that, that's bothered me was why the, some of these very intelligent men didn't do something about, uh, didn't see what was coming with Driscoll and Tullian and some other people and McDonald. Mm -hmm. uh, there's evidence that, um, some did see it coming, but they still didn't do anything about it. I don't know if you all read this, and I don't remember the man's name, but he was one of uh, Driscoll's assistants, and he did a lot of writing after Mars Hill broke up. That's Mark Driscoll's church. And um, 
he was the director of the resurgence at one point, which was a publishing or conference or church planner training thing. And he oh, said, I used to, re- I used to read. I mean, it was like my daily. Oh yeah. Me too. All the time. Wake up, check the internet, hit refresh. And by the time I got to work, like hit refresh again, because there was something I missed posted late Eastern. And then there'd be something like posted early Pacific, like every time. Okay. So, well, anyway, this guy turned out to be one of the, one of the good guys, one of the better guys in the, the uh, ashes of uh, Mars Hill. But he recounted in one of these long blog posts he did, I mean, just a few months after the Mars Hill crack-up, and his name was something like Carson, or I forget what his name was. Is it Wilkinson? No, no. He had that. He was a worship leader, and uh, he had that worship leader name. You know, they all have those names. But anyway, he was, <laughs> well, an, he was think, an okay I... guy. Let, let, me, let me tell the story. He said uh, he got... Um, he he went to New York or or some big city where there was a big meeting of uh, Gospel Coalition YRR type people, and he ran he runs into uh, Tim Keller on the elevator or on the stairs, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, "Hey, I'm uh, I work for Mark Driscoll. I'm the director of the Resurgence," and he said that Tim Keller thumped him in the chest with his fingers and said, "The Resurgence will not be directed." In other words, he's saying it's all about Driscoll. You you don't control anything, pal. Uh, so well, that was Keller saw it coming, and he didn't did, didn't do anything about it. That's what yeah. really really gets me. Um, where I mean, where well, were the adults? Had, remember, I mean, we had Jed Ostich on this about all the ghostwriting that used to go on mm-hmm. uh, on that website as well. Um, I think one of the things that and this is. So I grew, I mean, I grew up in Southern California and, uh, if there's anyone who was supposed to be a thrice fan, it should have been me. And yet I wasn't, um, it's too bad. uh, man. Well, all of their albums that only have one word titles are good or fine. Uh, if the, if the album title has more than one word in it, I skip it. Um, I did a full like deep dive on this one day, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, Mars Hill wanted to plant in, and actually did at one point in Orange County, California. And, um, uh, Dustin Kentry, the singer of thrice became their worship leader before eventually going up to Washington, if I remember, um, and, and you know, put out, um, like a, you know, Rocky praise and worship album, um, which actually, you know, wasn't bad. He was, he was, he's a wonderful solo artist. Um, but all that to say is that if you go on, you know, if you were to go to his social pages now, um, he, he's, he is a one man burned over district, Hmm. um, because of that experience. And, and I even remember tweeting at him at, at the collapse of Mars Hill. I was like, please don't, let this sully your view of things you were introduced to. Like, I think I even tweeted like, this is the Napark church directory. Hmm. There are so many churches in your local area who would love to welcome you in and, and show you that what you had was, was a bad experience and, and not the actual, the actual thing that you're mistaken for. And at this point, you know, he's, he, he, he went, you know, far left, maybe for many other reasons, but I, I, I think we would be naive to think that uh, the collapse of Mars Hill didn't have a huge reason for it or was a big catalyst. 
Right. I, 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 uh, Dustin Kensrew. Yeah. He, yeah, he was, you know, you, if you kind of follow some of the, the worship rock bands they had there, you see them on a, with a, yeah, it was Mike Anderson. I was going to say that. I just, um, oh, okay. Um, the, uh, you, you find that there are now varying levels of orthodoxy inside of them. And, and one of the things, honestly, that really kind of triggered this idea for me kind of long ago is, it's a, I, well, I think it's kind of fallen apart, which is probably a very, very good thing. But the Bad Christian Podcast, right, um, it, which are uh, two members of Emory, and it used to be another pastor, and two of them were members at Mars Hill. And they started making this podcast after Mars Hill, and it was them admitting they were bad Christians and kind of coming to, you know, how what what could Christianity be like for them, just admitting they were bad Christians. And what it is, is it's three guys talking themselves into progressive Christianity. Oh, yeah. And, and two guys basically um, talking themselves out of the faith. I, I, I don't know for sure. But I think they're uh, the the guys in Emory are at least are at least gone, and so you know this is this is why it deserves to be criticized because while I, Michael and I, you know, we don't we again we don't downplay the good, we don't downplay um, right. I'm I'm you know I I've been I've been in Mars Hill. I went to Seattle, right? This is you know I was into it, and we know there are lots of people who. Um, were helped, who found confessional, more confessional wings, you know, but there, there's a lot of harm, real harm that has come. Yeah. And, you know, there, it needs to be reckoned with. And, and we still aren't ready to do that, it seems on a, on a large scale yet. And obviously, at the time, um, people, people didn't, <laughs> didn't want to do it. John Piper has no regrets. He has no regrets. Um, uh, if if you know that clip, uh, Piper was asked in an interview after Driscoll's um, burnout um, at Mars Hill. Someone, you know, they they have to do an Ask Pastor John every day, so it was going to come up eventually. And so they do. Uh, what do you think about Mark Driscoll now that this has all happened? And the first sentence out of his mouth is, "John Piper has no regrets." <laughs> and. And I guess not, um, you know, because, again, I think he, and he, again, in, in his lecture to Westminster, if you listen to the first 10 minutes of it, he calls himself a father to new Calvinism, right? Oh, so really? it's, hmm. he was trying to, he was, because, tr right, he, you know, he is, um, you know, as far as these figure goes, right, he at least, you know, while I, you know, I certainly find, find issues, but He's a, at least an upright, a generally upstanding guy, right? Um, I guess I'm playing comparison, right? Someone hired a hitman. It's it's going to be hard not to. Um, you look pretty good next to that. That's uh, you're but, not the worst dressed at Walmart at no, that point. John, yeah. John Piper is a good guy. No moral problems. Yep. No, you know, he's right. he's he's uh, a pious. We feel bad person. for him because he, you know, because he, you know, felt feels like he had this fatherly role and was uh, tied to a lot of these. Uh, worst case scenario kind of guys yeah. all right so we're before we run completely out of time mm -hmm. I, I want to make since we're talking a lot about the gospel coalition one of my favorite um favorite subjects um 
two two more observations. Uh, I've noticed in the past uh, three, four, five years that the content is dominated, and a lot of the the staffers, uh, the the main articles, dominated by PhD students from uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville. I mean, that's just like if you're a if you're a PhD student at Southern Seminary, you get to write or work for the Gospel Coalition. Um, yep. And so that's that's the molar influence, uh, but there are other elements there too that we know about. And uh, uh, and you you mentioned the woke stuff earlier, so there's that influence as well. But also, of course, if if you look at the size of the denominations and the congregations, the PCA is still very overrepresented, at least on the council. There aren't there aren't a lot of PCA. Uh, figures who who write for the gospel coalition i don't think um but in leadership we are overrepresented but what's vastly overrepresented for their size are anglicans and i think that's um that's very interesting too because i think the future of uh, evangelicalism in this country looks anglican uh in this respect they are much more egalitarian than any of your Baptists or or even the PCA. Uh, you know there are female ministers uh, in the Anglican, uh, you know the conservative Anglican uh, Union. Um, they arguably have some weaknesses on the whole gay Christian uh, issue, although they've actually come down more strongly against use of that term than the PCA has to date. But I think the future looks, I mean, Christianity today is dominated by Anglicans, or in, or historically has been, and um, there there's there's a little more interplay with um, um, denominations who who are friendly to uh, female elders and female ministers that I'm comfortable with. Uh, so I, I think the evangelicalism, even the conservative reformed evangelicalism of 10 years from now will look a lot more like the EPC and uh, parts of the Anglican Church, which conveniently also have a lot of charismatics, um, than the PCA of today. So I think the future is is more egalitarian, and um, I don't know if, if the Gospel Coalition has really helped us in that respect. The future is Anglican. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, uh, I think that you're right. I think you know there was probably an inherent weakness um, in the kind of complementarian, I'd call it kind of compromise that existed. Right? That you know, not that there's. Um, I'm, I'm just saying that the the TGC, the the New Calvinist form of complementarianism, is we defend the two verses. Right? We defend one verse. That uh, right that the, says something that says women cannot teach or have authority over man, and that we defend the verse in Ephesians that says um, the husband right you know is is the head of his wife right, and those were the two verses right that was it all, and that's that's not sufficient right that is not a that's not a a, a fully formed thing but to to kind of earn credibility with the culture you that we've entertained you know, all of these kinds of things. And so I think that 
without more foundations, without confessional foundations, without more even biblical foundations, um, and per, perhaps even natural law um, foundations, all we have are those. It's going to be hard to hold those two verses when there's an entire, as you mentioned, entire egalitarian wing of the church who spends all their time writing different interpretations and understandings of those two verses, right? That's that's what they do. Well, let me, let me make another prophecy. If you if you read uh, if you if you've read the Gospel Coalition carefully in the past, uh, I'd say three years, in particular, you read more and more about Methodism and uh, the so-called evangelical or conservatives left in the UMC, which we know is about to split. And I guarantee you, the Gospel Coalition has their eyes uh, firmly fixed. Uh, in, a, in maybe maybe in a covetous way, uh, I'm saying that tongue in cheek, on the uh, on the Methodists. So you know that the, the the it's already been said that the conservative evangelical Methodists are going to keep their female preachers and their female officers. Well, who was it? Who was it that he said uh, he basically lumped? John Wesley and with uh, with Calvinists, anyways. Yeah, Trevin Wax. Um, yeah, oh, just what a yeah. It, but but there's been a lot written about that. And uh, who is the guy? Mark Tooley, uh, pretty good guy, uh, who's Methodist. And I think Tommy Kidd has written a bit about them. But anyway, um, that's going to be a temptation for uh, for the coalition uh, because that's a big that's a big chunk of market. And a big, a big bunch of people. They think they can help, but you know, there's, it's never a one-way, one-way um, thing. And uh, I think uh, again, the future is egalitarian, and the Anglicans, uh, the EPC uh, crowd, uh, the the Methodist of the of the of the of the future, and um, and some elements of the of the PCA are gonna are gonna bend more that way. So, again, if if there weren't PCA people involved, there are very few non-PCA, NAPARC people involved with the Gospel Coalition. But if there weren't PCA people in leadership, I wouldn't care what the Gospel Coalition did. But I think I have to care. And uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think that's unnecessary and overblown and yeah. unhealthy. But um, I, 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 can't, I can't help but uh, be concerned. So briefly, I mean, think, go ahead. Go ahead well, I was going to say, I mean, it seems like, and and maybe it's just the fact that I'm not in the PCA anymore that I don't pay as much attention to it. But like, it seems to me like some of the Gospel Coalition stuff is probably the least impacting on the PCA that it's been in a number of years because of the number of people who who sort of have like drifted away from it as much. Um, but obviously, it's still. I think it's still one of those like most frequently visited sites for a lot of people sitting in the pews. It you know not the pastors, um, but I think you know I, I'm wondering if it would be, you know, that was a jumping off point for a lot of people, or if they've just sort of moved into, um, you know, sort of other fields or or founded their own organizations or founded their own organizations and then folded those and then got hired by. Uh, other people, um, 
as, as a part of their larger organization. So um, thoughts or, you know, just say I'm wrong and I won't be offended. So we've done a lot of, uh, well, mostly we've made connections, uh, some, some criticizing, some, uh, some a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But uh, you guys are, um, uh, Michael, you're a pastor in the PCA, and uh, Matt, I know you'll, you, you may be serving in the PCA uh, mm-hmm. in, in the not-too-distant future. And um, tell people what's, what's better than coalitional Christianity. Uh, so uh, we're not just saying, what's the alternative? What's the, uh, what's the beauty and uh, the good of, uh, of true uh, confessional, uh, connectional uh, uh, Protestantism? Mm-hmm. Maybe in the context of what we've been talking about, uh, one of the things that first comes to mind is simply accountability, right? To have a system of graded courts where you're never in the place where you say, hey, this, this one guy uh, said uh, what we're going to do as a large church, and we just have to do it. And if we don't, we're like under discipline and we're kicked out or, you know, or this, you know, this one pastor is really taking things in a, in a poor direction. And, you know, I've, you know, tried to bring my concerns to him, but he won't listen. Uh, and there's literally nothing I can do now. Like it's over. I'm like, there's nothing else I can do. Well, that, that doesn't have to be the case. You know, this is the, the beauty of Presbyterianism that you do have a place of appeal to bring those kinds of concerns. And it allows then for accountability on all, you know, in, in every direction. Uh, it, you know, at least ideally, maybe it breaks down sometimes, but uh, it, it does allow for accountability in a way that you just don't have uh, in these other systems. Yeah, I think that there is, right, the, the, the you know, the short, the, the, the maybe the, the Baptist answer, right, is, is that it's more biblical, but there is, there's, there's so much um, more, right? You're welcomed into a entire um, house. You're welcomed into an entire system of of thought and faith and practice that is that has accountability and right has a place for kids, right? My kids can come in. Um, I have a. I already have a catechism, right? It and it frees you, right? What ended up kind of. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a super hard breaking point with New Calvinism. Just as I went to church with grown-ups week after week and saw they didn't care about any of that, they didn't know, they weren't aware, right? It was a very um, small uh, church. I I just found myself uh, the 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 actual local church I was with, the actual. Um, great. There was more to talk about. There was more to life. There was more to faith than um, these five points or these things. And being challenged on things like, do you do family worship? Right. Those kinds of questions were deeply impactful to me and things I had never even considered. Um, and and right. And and it, and I'll say it's a lot cheaper to, to be in a confessional thing because I don't feel any need to buy the books. I don't need to have a uh, you know, there was this, you know, uh, what's the really big book everyone's talking about right now in those, uh, Gent- Gentle and Lowly or something? Um, yeah, I, by G- maybe, Gavin Ortland, I think it is. Yeah, yep, haven't read it. I just know it's about Jesus's heart and his emotional life. And I just, I tweeted the other day that, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that's better than 
B.B. Warfield's masterful and much shorter and for free online essay on the emotional life of our Lord. Right? The, these, the, the constant need to retread new content, right, oftentimes pushes out our attention for what is probably better. And it might take more work to work through, um, but, you know, is, is, a, is a better meal like tacos right it's it's a better meal like tacos uh, yeah an ex- excellent value uh value um, yeah so you know another <laughs> thing i would say that is a great benefit of a, of a confessional ordinary means of grace church is the is sort of the fixity uh, of it um I think evangelicalism has always been built on constant change i mean it's it's it just it, yeah. it thrives on change um, I know as when I was a Baptist, that was certainly the case. And, uh, you know, every, every, every month on the gospel coalition, there's a new list of, uh, of uh, 40 movies you should see or 50 right. songs for the pandemic. And, uh, I, I don't want to have to, I don't want another 40 or 50 yeah. pieces of content that I have to, uh, uh, consume. Uh, and, and I don't want everything we sing on Sunday to change every six months or year or or five years, hopefully. Uh, so um, yeah. the boring and part of it is, is really a selling point it's, for me. It's, it's a feature. It's a feature, not That's a right. bug, right? Yeah. We Because when you, whether it's the Trinity hymnal, whether it's the Trinity Psalter, right, any of these more, these things, right, you know, it was this mind-blowing experience when I realized there were people who were actually good at music and actually good at theology, put a lot of thought into picking these songs that have been sang, right, you know, as far back as the Gloria Patri, right? We have, you know, songs into the early 1900s. And that, what if you wanted to sing what the church has kind of sang around the world and has sang for hundreds of years? That that might be a value than just singing the thing closest to K-Love or... You know, if you were me, like the Driscoll, right? The closest thing I could do to punk rock as a worship song. Mm. And how that that was a value. And and as I've gotten to travel, I've been in other places in the world, you watch evangelicals oftentimes try and import these American worship songs into other places, right? Let's talk about culture. Do you know how little sense it makes, right? When it's a song that's kind of written for, um, we love you, uh, suburban minivan soccer moms, but... Your experience is is a very distinct experience, and it it doesn't reflect the church's Catholic existence, its his, historic existence, and and it is a kind of a one note. It really hits one note. I'm not feeling the best today, but Jesus is better. Thank you. Whereas the Psalms, the the Trinity hymnal. They have a they express a wide range of praise. To our Lord, a wide raise of confession, you know, of 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 claim of assurance that is is much healthier and maybe is more boring, but it is, as you said, it's stable, right? Your can kids I say, can learn it all. Can I just add? Uh, you know, one of the things we've talked about before is that you know, with uh, with uh, uh, worship service that follows the regulative principle, you know, 
there's not a lot of room to hide. Like you can't hide from the word of God and from the, you know, the ordinary means of grace. And you just like, you can't get away from it. You can't like the technology of it, the, the lights and the show of it. Uh, like this just allows you to uh, get by uh, on something that is not the real deal. And uh, what we do week after week then uh, is just put forward the truth. We just put forward uh, the gospel and the Lord Jesus himself uh, being, uh, you know, portrayed as crucified. And you're just, I mean, right then, you're just uh, forced to just, this is either what I'm going to accept or I'm going to not accept it. And that's it. I mean, there's no like, there's no other room. There's no room to hide yourself in the midst of it. And so um, it's also just portable. It's, you know, not only the the fact that it, you know, comes from all kinds of different times and cultures and the, you know, the way we do things, but it can, I mean, you can take it anywhere. Where I was talking to one of our elders uh, not long after the, you know, pandemic stuff was coming through. And I thought, you know, like if, if we had to, we could basically meet in a field and, like everything that we do for worship on a Sunday can easily be done. We can meet outdoors. We can like we can do this anywhere. Uh, we can do it all. Well, you could set the grass on fire to simulate the smoke machine. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. yeah. And 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 that's yeah. It's such a good point that right. But when new Calvinists or people who are like yeah, I, I heard that smart Presbyterian at the Gospel Coalition, if they show up to Michael's church, they go, oh, what are you doing here? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait, I've, this I've is... had conversations with young guys who are like, man, I really like this stuff that you're like teaching and talking about. And I'm like, and they're like, well, I want to come to your church. And I'm like, listen, I know you, I would love to have you at my church. I really would. But let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to come and you're never going to come back again. And they don't. And, and like, not that this happens every time this, and I don't challenge everyone that way. I've just done that a couple of times with guys that I, you know, uh, are, are of that mold. Well, and this is something I meant to say earlier, but it fits in based on what you just said. If um, if Presbyterians' involvement in the, the YRR movement and the Gospel Coalition, if it had really been worthwhile, I think we would have seen uh, two things. We would have seen um, Baptists becoming Presbyterian. Now, there have been a few. Uh, the PCA has a number of ministers who, who came in from... Uh, uh, who were Baptists, Todd Pruitt being one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know a guy in North Carolina, don't agree with him on a lot, but uh, he actually uh, took a, a Baptist church into the PCA. I mean, they they did the whole, they flipped the whole script. Um, but you all haven't heard of a lot of TGC, well, there haven't been any celebrity figures who've made the switch, who've made the switch. I mean, Joe Thorne became a, a Presbyterian, I think. Uh, he was sort of. Uh, uh, I think he's he? a he's a 1689 Baptist. Oh, is he? Okay, I thought as he became. Far as I know. Okay, well, uh, there was some. He's of, got a tattooed on his hand, so I hope uh, he didn't. And, and I no, hope he didn't make le- the switch. Less land <laughs> I, hope, I hope he did. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're you're right. I he can apologize for the tattoo if he did. But. Sure. Well, I'm just, my point is there haven't been many uh, right. defections, and I guess something that I. You know, there's very little ecclesiological focus, and uh, yeah. I would be impressed if, if a lot of Baptists started saying, we need to be more connectional. We actually need some accountability. Now, you know, the SBC is trying to do it from the top down with a registry, and they got this small committee that can, you know, disfellowship people. Yeah, but, but, nothing, nothing's going to go wrong there. Right. You know, that's... But, <laughs> But what if Baptists became more Presbyterian in their church government? 
I mean, be good for them, yeah. even if they were still Baptists. Uh, we, we haven't seen those things. We haven't seen a lot of defections. So I just wonder who's changing who. And uh, yeah. anyway, that's my concern. But yeah. uh, we love everybody here on the Presbycast. We've had uh, Baptists, Episcopalians, numerous Lutherans, and uh, maybe even some uh, generics of some some sort or another. So and as we wrap up, anything uh, either of you want to say, and Resby, anything you need to get off your chest that's uh, uh, fit for family consumption? I'll, I'll, I'll defer to our guests first. Yeah, well, you can uh, check out our podcast where we have conversations and we watch the, the, the good, the bad, and the Mark Driscoll of the clips of the YRR. And uh, uh, you can find it, I don't know, kind of wherever you listen to your podcast. It's Restless. We've got a cool little Calvin guy. And, uh, yeah, so it's been great uh, hanging out, uh, talking YRR with you guys. Yeah, it's uh, really enjoyable. Added some uh, to our thoughts about uh, how to look at the whole of the movement. I'm glad, glad we could come on. Glad we have to uh, set some new goals. Oh, yeah, we recommend that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Resby, I think it's time for you to to wrap us up, as you always do. Yeah, I mean, this has been great because it's sort of like before you go in and delete them all, um, it's sort of like going way, way back on your Facebook and looking at all of the old pictures. (laughs) Um, That's sort of what this sort of like rear view looking is. But it's important, I think, to go back and look at it to know where you came from to see how you got there. And, and there is a sense in which, uh, and I think I've episode some generic amount of time back is like, I'm grateful for all of this insofar as that it brought me here. Um, you know, beyond, I, I'm not willing to go beyond that, but I'm, I'm willing to go that far is to say, um, the, the, it, I, I don't have a, a weaker view of God's providence because of how it got me to where I am today. So, so I am grateful uh, for that. But also, you have to go back and just laugh at yourself and, and laugh at the, these things we used to do and, and not take ourselves so seriously and, and realize that this is all sort of vanity in, in some ways um, and, and know that, um, you know, thank goodness, you know, um, the promises and covenants of God haven't changed that we can still all, um, you know, be a part of it and, 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 you know, look back on it and, and see how, um, you know, good fruit has been born in, in different places, but, uh, that's probably more serious than, than most people might expect me to close a show. But I mean, this is very much something, you know, at least the three of us, the two guests, you know, lived it. I mean, we were there, we were, um, I, um, I had to actually apologize to a friend of mine who, who is no longer a Christian, I don't think, but I remember apologizing and be like, you know, you were right about Driscoll. I mean, you, you called it years ahead of time and, and I shook you off and, and basically like marginalized your opinion. So like, mm-hmm. thanks for not, you know, punching me or storming out of my house when I was, you know, quite rude to you, but like you were right. Yeah. Um, and so looking back on it, we can kind of see it and, and hopefully avoid the same errors um, or at least help other people to try to avoid the same errors as well. Um, 
but uh, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, Matt and Michael, this has been awesome. Uh, we're we're uh, at Presbycast on Twitter. Um, if you, uh, We'll try to retweet and link out as best we can at Resbyterian, uh, at Chortles Weekly. Uh, we did find the sweater best uh, video. We at least found a link to it. Uh, unfortunately, it has been taken down or you have to... You have to be granted access to view it. Um, and so if you are a listening person who is the owner of that video, please open it back up. The people deserve to see this. Um, this is good for everyone to see. And, um, you know, I think Mark Driscoll just bought a brand new uh, Ford Bronco uh, with the money that I'm sure was ethically tithed. Uh, through his new church uh, so uh, I will close on that and, and just recommend that you don't be an Erdman magic on the internet worldwide